the Lord be with you. Most Thursday mornings, Ryan and I spend a good bit of time talking over the texts and the themes for the upcoming Sunday sermon. And last week, during our talk about the risen Jesus in the garden with Mary Magdalene, I kind of went off on a rabbit trail. And you could even call it a bit of a rant. And maybe, possibly, was I being long-winded and totally insufferable? But Ryan is a really good sport, as always, and he humored me. That's why it's so great working with him. The Gospels tell us that Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' best friends. Jesus had healed her of seven demons. She was a part of a group of women who traveled with Jesus and helped support his ministry with their own resources. After everyone had taken off, Mary Magdalene was one of the women still there at the crucifixion. She helped prepare Jesus' body for burial, even. And in John 20, Mary Magdalene was the first witness to the resurrection, sent to go and tell the disciples what she had seen and heard. Mary Magdalene, apostle to the apostles. Now, as disciples go, Mary Magdalene was truly remarkable. So, what was Jeremy ranting about? Well, at least as early as the year 581, when an entitled son of privilege, an aristocratic pope, Gregory I, wrote a terrible sermon propagating the completely bogus notion that Mary Magdalene was a reformed prostitute and some sort of lustful sex pot. And that was just the warm-up act. Thanks to outright sexism, careless scholarship, zany conspiracy theories, a whole bunch of erotic artwork, the church's generally toxic attitudes about sex, scorn and shame for sex workers, blatant efforts to marginalize, trivialize, disempower, and sexualize women, this trope of Mary Magdalene as the insatiable harlot with a sinful past, has survived for all these centuries and remains a part of our common imagination. Instead of celebrating this powerful, remarkable, complex person, the church has often run to the cheap and the nasty caricature. Here's the thing. These cheap readings and these tiresome tropes, they say way more about us than they will ever say about Mary Magdalene. Our skewed readings of the characters in Scripture tell us a lot about ourselves, don't they? They expose our fears and our prejudices, our insecurities, and especially our old habits of religion. Time and again, we read these Scriptures we reread these stories because we need fresh eyes so that the Jesus part can get through to us. 
John's gospel is a carefully composed and detailed work, rich in imagination and purpose. Clear, nearly every single passage in that book is an exercise in a careful use of language. Everything is planned. This is the work that opens with the high-octane phrase like, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. For our purposes, then, it's worth taking a moment to consider the way that John's gospel brings this entire story to a close. He does so with two encounter stories in chapter 20, the big finish, the culmination to his whole project. Yes, don't get me wrong, John 21 is terrific stuff, but that's the epilogue, a later edition. Here in John 20, we're closing out the scene. All of the previous efforts were for, as John tells us, that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and through him, believe, through believing, you may have life in his name. Last week, Ryan walked us through Mary Magdalene's encounter with the risen Jesus, a reunion of two dear friends. Mary rushes to tell the disciples that most amazing news, I have seen the Lord. Picking up our story today, though, we find another encounter with the risen Jesus. One that happened later in the evening on that very same day, this time in a locked room full of trembling disciples. Men huddled in fear, hiding from the dangers of the world. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus showed up alive, still bearing the, those same brutal scars. This was the body of the man that they had known all these years, standing right there in their midst. A living sign of what resurrection looks like. Even then, though, as if that's not enough, Jesus breathes the Spirit on them, invites them, invites those terrified followers to his holy purposes. Terrified followers reborn as sent people, apostles, bearers of the peace of Christ, alive in the Spirit, forgivers of sin even, the new people of God in the world. Amen. But there was one problem. One disciple missed the whole thing. If you spend any amount of time with my brother-in-law, Blake Holt, you will soon learn a few things about him. Number one, the guy wears his heart on his sleeve. And number two, he's a lifelong fan of The Clash. If that's not your scene, all you need to know is that The Clash was an English rock band in the late 70s and early 80s with a lead singer who wore his heart on his sleeve named Joe Strummer. I can't imagine how Blake must have felt when The Clash broke up in 1986. But in the years after their breakup, Joe Strummer put together another band, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros, 
and they ran the usual touring circuit, but never in a city where Blake happened to live. When they were scheduled to come to Toronto, he planned a special trip just to take in the concert, but a friend planned a wedding for the same weekend. A few years later, he bought tickets and mapped out a road trip all the way to Minneapolis. But then Blake suffered a serious back injury and he couldn't make the drive. One last time, Blake planned to finally see Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros live on a trip to Las Vegas. But on December 22nd, 2002, Joe Strummer died of a heart attack caused by a congenital heart defect. I can't tell you how sad we all were for Blake. Such a bad run of luck. All of his best laid plans undone. Take a moment and think of every great event you ever missed. Add to that a bunch of regrets about your worst life choices and toss in some unfortunate happenstance. And that's the Thomas story for an entire week. Thomas missed Jesus' big resurrection day, the day his friends saw the Lord. Those guys who'd been hiding in a locked room were called and commissioned and blessed by the Spirit. And sure, they were probably really well-meaning, telling Thomas the whole story, adding in all the little details. We have seen the Lord and the marks on his body. But can't you just help but feel a little ripped off for Thomas? What a bummer. So Thomas says, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of, of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas just wanted what the rest of the disciples already had. And I can't say that I blame him. I can't imagine not feeling more than a little defensive, embarrassed, hurt, insulted, confused, angry. Why was he the only one left out? And I don't think it's entirely unreasonable to expect some measure of doubt along the way. In popular imagination, though, not unlike the way we treat Mary Magdalene's story, there isn't very much empathy for Thomas. Thomas had a very long and sad week, but generally speaking, doubting Thomas has become the foil. Some sort of an example of a failure of religion. The good, righteous people are the sorts that don't doubt. And then there's doubting Thomas sorts. Ugh. That's just no way to be. We don't associate with those folk. We don't have room for that sort of thing, right? Thomas, that empiricist, materialist, lacking in faith that the rest of us obviously have. Uh, don't be a doubting Thomas, was the Sunday school song I learned. Thomas and his doubts, so the commentators say. Oh, that doughty Thomas, doubting all the time. That's his thing. He just doubts. That's what we know him for. For centuries, churches filled with people locking themselves away from the world. 
would heap scorn on Thomas for his doubts. Our skewed relationships with the characters of Scripture really do tell us a lot about ourselves. Friends, this is not a doubt story. This is a grace story. This is a story about the time that guy who got left behind and missed out was given another chance. Jesus knew everything that Thomas was missing. He didn't scold him. He didn't shame Thomas. He simply presented his risen body. Don't doubt. Believe. You have seen the Lord. Peace be with you. We all know deep in our hearts that the journey of faith is not a straight or flat or even a clearly defined one. Our multi-dimensional faith doesn't fit at all with one-dimensional characters. We swerve and we wander and we speed sometimes. There are scenic stops along the way, obstacles, hasty drive-through meals, and leisurely picnics in the grass. Sometimes we have total breakdowns and wrong turns. Too often we don't pay enough attention to the other drivers and pedestrians. More often than most of us want to admit, we catch ourselves running half awake on cruise control. Often doubters. Other times wholehearted believers. Sometimes all in the same day. And the grace in this story, the grace in our story is that Jesus knows all of this because the risen Christ knows about the week that you have had. He knows the shape of your disappointment. Christ knows the contours of your shame and confusion and yes, even your doubt. The story doesn't tell us whether or not Thomas investigated Jesus' scars on his body. Even though so many paintings depict Thomas with his hands stuck into the wound on Jesus' side, all we're told is Thomas's reply, which, if you've been keeping score, just happens to be the most emphatic and theologically rich statement of belief in Jesus to be found in all four Gospels. Some people get close, but truly nobody nails it quite like Thomas. My Lord and my God. Thomas's incredible confession is the closing scene, the last and best confession of faith, a fitting end to John's Gospel. Followers of Jesus are Easter people. We are resurrection people. And our hope is an audacious one. We wait for the renovation and renewal of all things, all things made new. We disciples follow this risen Lord, naming the many ways that we see Christ in the world. Hopefully, with fresh eyes, to see the stories of the people around us living in resurrection hope, gathering in joyful celebration even now with grateful hearts because our story 
is a grace story. And the risen Lord is at the center of it all. Thanks be to God.